Good morning. It is uh, good to be together. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to James. Um, and I see several new faces in the room today. We're so glad to have you with us. We, we've got a, a bunch of adults that are gone. They're, uh, they're already at our high school summer camp setting up and getting all ready. And our high schoolers, a bunch of our high schoolers are leaving today uh, for camp. We'll, we'll pray for you guys at the end of the service, but I'm, I'm excited for uh, the, the week that our high schoolers get to spend together, and uh, we do. We have a ton of volunteers, uh, so be praying for them. We got lots of people helping out in the kitchen and counseling and raft guiding and doing all kinds of things this week. So, uh, okay, so we're, we're in... We're in James chapter 2, but I'm actually going to dip back into last week's passage uh, briefly here. Because uh, James, as we've gotten into this letter, my guess is you've noticed that James, he gives us commands and he gives us warnings as well. So this is, this is where we ended last week. Chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks that he is religious uh, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And he goes on and says, Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from this world. So uh, James is both, this letter is both uh, instructive and, and it's diagnostic as well, right? He tells us as believers what to do. He tells us what not to do. He's incredibly practical, like we've talked about already the last couple weeks. But he also, to borrow from last week, he holds up the mirror uh, so that we, we can see ourselves, right? And, and part of what we get to see is first, like, hey, are we even Christians? Like, am I, do I have genuine faith in Jesus, right? And if we are Christians, he, he, he's showing us like, okay, Christian, this is what you look like. You think this about yourself, but, but this is where you, you actually are. In verse 26, he says that we might be deceiving ourselves, right, about whether we know Jesus or not, or, or if we know Jesus, like how much we've actually grown in Jesus, how much we've been shaped like Christ, right? Because it is possible to come to church every week, right, and, and, and do all kinds of church-like activities. And, and James says, your religion can be worthless, right? He's saying it, it isn't even, even real. It's not genuine faith. So that was true of churches way back in the day, and that's still true in churches now, right? He writes that, this, that genuine religion, it looks like this. It's, it's us keeping ourselves unstained from the world, right? We're in the world, but not of it. And, and, and very practically, he lists off a couple groups of people that were neglected, and they're in, in great need in, in that time. Right? So pure religion is looking after, he says, people uh, who, who are in desperate need. Right? And we're going we're gonna to continue in that here. So he sets this up well for uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Right? 
partiality. So some of your Bibles, actually, the title might say uh, something about favoritism. And, and maybe that's an easier way to think about what it means to show partiality, right? It's, it's like kind of uh, like plain favorites. And, and we, we know what that is, right? In our families, of course, mom and dad said they didn't have favorites, but we all suspected that we did, that they did, right? It, 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 like just, a, I'm curious, just show of hands without even thinking, can you identify who the favorite sibling was in your house? Yeah, <laughs> that was easy for a lot of you, right? I'm not sure between my brother and I, I don't know, it might be him, um, but if so, I'm in a close second right behind him. Uh, so favoritism is close, but, but partiality, it's actually even worse than that. Right? It's, it's really discrimination. It's making distinction. Uh, it's, it's making judgment based on external uh, reasons, external factors, right? So you either give or hold back attention, love, affection, kindness, hospitality, etc., based on what you see, and that is not the way of Jesus, right? James is telling us in, in, in the very first verse, right, don't show partiality because that contradicts faith in Jesus, right? It contradicts who Jesus is, right? He describes Jesus as the Lord of glory, and we look around our world, and there are all kinds of attempts to steal glory from Jesus, right? All kinds of knockoffs out there. Uh, and we are, we are drawn to glory, right? Because we're, we're to be drawn to Jesus, but we are just naturally, we're drawn to glory, right? We look at uh, our society and uh, the infatuation with celebrities, right? Uh, whether it's Hollywood stars or, or whatever, whatever kind of celebrity for whatever reason, we are drawn to celebrities. Um, our country, I don't really get it, but uh, much of our country is obsessed with the royals, right? The, like we, we broke away from their land and, and yet we're still obsessed with like their top dogs. Uh, the, the wedding that happened, it was several years ago. It was Kate and someone, I don't even remember. Um, and, and like people in the U.S. woke up at like ridiculous hours to watch all this pop and circumstance. Um, that's not my thing, right? But, but if a pro athlete were to walk in the doors here, right? Damian Lillard, and I know there's a lot going on with Dame right now, but, but Damian Lillard, if he walked in the doors, like I'd be tongue-tied. I wouldn't know like how to stand. I wouldn't know how much eye contact to make or not make, what to say. I'd hope that he would just kind of on his own offer me an autograph. Um, like we, we, man, we're, we're, we're wired to give glory. But the problem is that so often the, the objects that we want to give glory to, they don't deserve it. They, they don't compare with Jesus, the Lord of glory, right? James is reminding us, Jesus is number one. He's the one worthy of giving glory to. Every, every other object of glory, or think of it as, as worship, is undeserving. So James gives us an example here, which helps us take this concept and see how, how it can be lived out incorrectly. And then he'll tell us, how to live this out in a God-glorifying way. So two people come in, right, to the church gathering. And the first one, they, they're, they're decked out, right? They're, they're dressed to the nines. They got the best clothes. They've got jewelry. Their hair probably looks awesome. And then the other person comes in about the same time. And, and their clothing, it, it's, it's tattered. It's shabby. It's dirty. They probably smell. I mean, they just, they look like a train wreck. And James says 
that how we treat these two, this matters. And in fact, it's like this litmus test that shows us, again, he's holding up a mirror, and it shows us what our relationship with Jesus is like, where it really is. Uh, we, we aren't to treat these people differently, but James, James knows human hearts, right? He knows our tendencies. We're, we're tempted to treat the person that looks nice, that's, that's dressed nice, better than the other person. Why do we do that? Well, maybe we do that because they seem like they're important to us. And in our flesh, our flesh wants what, what they have, right? They have the riches of the world or, or success or, or whatever. So it could be our own hunger for that, right? Or, or maybe we're hoping that, that if we get to know them well, that, that they'll, they'll, there'll be some sort of benefit in, in a relationship with them, that, that they'll maybe introduce us to people that, that we could get into circles with them that we could never get into on our own. Or it could be a fear thing, right? They, they might come off as powerful, or maybe, uh, maybe they intimidate us so it's more of a, a fear motivator, right? They, we, we don't want them to, to lash out at us. We, we don't want them to make our life difficult with the power that they have. Or, or maybe there's some other sort of factor. But we can show partiality uh, to wealth, uh, to people that, that are accomplished, people that are powerful. We can show partiality based on ethnicity. Um, we, we can show partiality because, because someone's really intelligent or they, 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 they're really, really educated or, or, or just on, on how, how beautiful they look or how strong physically they are. And, and then we got the poor person, right? Seemingly they have nothing to offer us. In, in fact, we, we might even be, be calculating the cost and think this person's, it's going to cost me to know them, to be in a relationship with them. Or maybe they make us feel uncomfortable, right? And maybe we're thinking, man, if they start coming here, like I'm gonna have to spend time with them. There's gonna be a lot of cost in, in just being around them. Man, it sounds nothing like Yahweh and how he sees people. We remember the account of Samuel the prophet uh, when, when he's told that uh, God has chosen a new king, that it's not going to be Saul because of his disobedience. So God tells him that there's a, a king that, that's in uh, this particular family, right? It's, it's David's family. And Saul sees his brothers, right? And they look big and strong. And one in particular, he just looks like a king, right? He looks like a guy that could lead a nation. I'm sure he had, he had those broad shoulders, right? He, he had that, that jawline, right? That, that manly jawline. You know what I'm talking about. Like, yes, there's flesh over it, but, but it looks like it was just chiseled right out of a rock, right? So he, he looks and, and, and he says, surely this must be the king. But God says, no, no, it, it's not any of these brothers, right? God isn't like us. God looks past the, the external, and looks at the heart. And the, the young man that, that God chose was, was David, and he did not look the part. God chooses differently than we do. In college, uh, my buddies and I won multiple intramural championships. That may come as a surprise to you. Um, but I was on those teams. And I don't know about your college, uh, but intramurals at our little Bible college was a big deal, right? Like there were some people that, yes, they just wanted to have fun, whatever, right? Uh, then there were others that like we wanted to win because you got a t-shirt that said you won, that you were the champion, right? And so there were, there were, uh, there were teams that were very competitive, right? And they're recruiting and like 
feelings were hurt. People are saying like, oh, sorry, like I like you in Bible class, but not here. <laughs> like I, they didn't really say that, but functionally they did. Um, like th- there were teams that were stacked. My team was not. Um, most of my buddies were okay athletes. Uh, I was somewhat athletic, but I was overweight. I was slow, right? I actually, I weighed 20 more pounds then, right? So I was even slower than I am now. Uh, My buddy Brian, he, you could tell that in his glory days, he was an athlete. But by the time I met him, he was, uh, he was approaching 30. He'd had multiple knee surgeries. He'd really slowed down. Another friend, Justin, he was always on the team with us. Uh, he looked the part, right? He, he was tall, looked athletic, but man, his mental game was weak. I mean, he had a hot head and it took nothing to get under his skin or, or if he missed a shot or two, like he was just, he was destroyed mentally. And, and then there was James. He wanted it bad, but he just didn't have it. Um, so it doesn't exactly add up to a, a dynamite team. Like how in the world did we win championships? Well, there's one more player on our team and his name was Aaron. Aaron happens to be the brother of Nate Keller. Uh, So I'm going to talk about your uncle for a second, boys. Uh, Aaron was not like the rest of us. Aaron was one of my best buddies. Uh, Aaron was stronger. Aaron was faster. He jumped way higher. Uh, he, he, He actually played high school football. I think he was a quarterback. Is that right? Yeah. Quarterback for, for his team. He played basketball. Like he was way better than the rest of us. Like, not even close. He's our best player. He was our coach. Like, he was so good that we didn't need to be anything but ourselves uh, on our team. So in flag football, like, he was our quarterback. If we could barely get open, Aaron could get the ball to us, right? And, and if, if we could not get open, then he would just run the ball, and, and it'd, take, it'd take half the team to go catch him. Um, in, in basketball, if it was a close game, we would run our own version of the four-corner offense. But our four-corner offense wasn't to, like, delay and burn clock. Our four-corner offense was we moved out of the way so that Aaron could take his guy one-on-one. And even if Aaron missed the shot, he was probably getting the rebound, putting it back up, and we would win the game. Um, it, it reminds me. Those intramural teams with Aaron remind me of, of what it's like to be on Jesus' team in Jesus' kingdom. Right? He didn't pick you uh, because he needed you or me. Right? Jesus is the star. He's all we need to be victorious. He, he coaches us up. He empowers us to do what we cannot do. Actually, I just heard someone say this the other day. Uh, they, said, they said, the Holy Spirit adds the super to our natural. I'm like, yes, like, that, that, is, that is how it works. Like Jesus didn't hold tryouts, right, and, and put us on the roster because we were the best. So when we make distinctions, it's, it's opposite of the gospel, right? God has always thought and felt this way about partiality. And we, we see it throughout Scripture, but let me just give you a couple of verses one is Proverbs 28, 21. God says, to show partiality is not good. Acts 10, 34, you might remember this from, from our Acts series. Peter, he has this vision. There's this sheet that comes down from heaven. It's got clean and unclean animals according to the, to the, uh, the, the laws. On the sheet, God says to Peter, Rise, kill, eat, right? Eat these animals. Peter, like, I've never eaten anything unclean. God, I'm not, I can't do it. He says it multiple times. God says, don't call unclean what I've said is clean, right? And the point is that, that from any nation, people can join God's family through Jesus. So Peter says this in Acts 10, 34. 
Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Right? We know John 3.16. Right? We know God loves the world. So he sent his son right, to save all who would respond in faith to him. So socioeconomic status doesn't matter to Jesus. Neither does education or ethnicity. Right? Your, your accomplishments don't impress Jesus. Jesus shows no partiality. So how can we, looking in the mirror here, how can we follow him and show partiality? Because we all have those people that we're more drawn to and, and those that, that we don't feel as comfortable with or, or maybe are even uh, repulsed by, right? People that, that we, we don't like, we don't naturally want to be around. So how do we respond to that in our flesh, right? How we respond in, to, to this, this thing coming out of our flesh matters, right? James says partiality's got to end. It cannot be a part of a believer because it is not a part of God. It's not a part of his kingdom. Back in verse 4, right, he writes that we make distinctions. And when we do that, we're making ourselves judges with evil thoughts. And, and unfortunately, um, Christians are known as some of the most judgmental people. And what's wild is how blind we can be to that. I was talking to a Christian um, after the 2016 election, and I don't remember the circumstances exactly, but they were, they were upset by this other Christian being so offended by, by something that happened. But the irony was that, that, that this, this person, this lady I was talking to, she got offended all the time by all kinds of things. But in this particular circumstance, she was offended that this other person was offended by something that didn't offend her. Like, like it was the only thing, not really, but it was the thing that didn't offend her and she was so offended that they could be offended by that and she couldn't see it. Like couldn't see it at all. I tried to point out the irony and she didn't get it. Uh, we should be the least judgmental people on the planet, right? We know. We know that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. I mean, really what Peyton opened with, right? James James also says that not only judges, but, but we're judges with evil thoughts. And maybe you wouldn't label what he's talking about here as evil. Maybe you would. But, but I wonder if we define evil differently than the Bible does. In our minds, evil is like violence. Evil is it's, it's kidnapping, it's sexual assault, it's, it's murder, it's, it's adultery, like true atrocities. I heard someone define it this way, and I think it really lines up with Scripture. Simple definition. Evil is anything that opposes God's way. right? Any way that is not following God. And if that's how we define evil, I wonder how that would impact daily life. right? Because you and I are pretty good at justifying all kinds of things that Scripture says we shouldn't be into. And we just say, it's not, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as that thing. Right? I know I shouldn't hold a grudge, or, or I know I shouldn't gossip, but man, this is so juicy. you got to hear this. Right? Or I probably shouldn't watch that movie, but it's not, it's not that bad. Man, if someone said that movie was evil, right, you, you didn't really know about it, but they said, oh, man, that movie's evil. That would stop you, or it should stop you in your tracks. Right? If in your mind you thought of a gossip as, as evil or lying as evil, that would make us stop. God sees with different lenses than we do. Look at the next verse, verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Those who, who are poor by the standards of this world often have great openness to God. And I think it's because they know they need help, right? They haven't been fooled into thinking that they can take care of everything that they need. If you are uh, uh, highly capable, praise God for that and know that, that you can fool yourself into thinking that you don't really need God in everything, right? In, in their poorness of wealth, that may easily lead them to what Jesus and James label as a poorness in spirit, right? They're looking outside of themselves, right? Because they, they recognize that they can't get themselves out of every jam. They, they can't seem to figure out uh, maybe a lot of things in life, and they know they need help. Our, our natural way of thinking is, is attracted and, and, and even distracted by riches and, and power and glory, but not so with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Right? Jesus left the riches of heaven, his comfortable place with the Father. Right? He came down, uh, he became poor. He was born to a no-name teenager who was engaged to a, a poor, no-name carpenter. And he's born, he's laid in that trough. Jesus was poor, but Paul says in his poverty, and not, not just physical poverty, but in his poverty, we would become rich. But he's talking about true riches here, not the riches of the world that will perish, but the riches of life in Christ, right? Of knowing God and being known by God. The riches of being forgiven of sin, right? The, the riches of not being guilty before God, the riches of true peace, no matter the circumstances, the riches of eternal life. See what uh, Jesus said in Luke 4, and he's quoting here Isaiah 61. He said, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the to share the gospel with the poor, to set those who are captive free. And, and what, what can we be captive to? We can be captive to this world, to the, to the philosophies of this world, to the ideologies of this world. We're captive to sin. We're captive to the deception of, of, of these things that say they give life. And Jesus, he came to give real life and to give it to the full, right? Not the knockoff versions of what the world sells over the last probably 10, 15 years that has helped recognize how much God commands his people to, to care for the poor. It's Pastor Tim Keller. He died, I mean, I think in, within the last month or so. He's been, he was battling cancer for years. Um, he, this is what he said, why, why it matters when we, when we fail uh, to love, when we fail, uh, when we have a, a lack of love for our neighbor. And he says, especially the poor and vulnerable.
morality and respectability will ordinarily have contempt for the outcast. They'll think this in their mind. They'll think, I worked hard to get where I am, and so can Where I am, by the sheer and unmerited mercy of God, I'm completely equal with all other people. He says that's the language of the Christian's heart. A sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in deeds We can look in our country and there's all kinds of programs that, that have failed, that are failing with, with that kind of attitude. But it's certainly saying that, that it, it, it certainly isn't saying that we tell them, hey, figure it out, right? The, the person that says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that's what I did. No, you didn't, right? That, that isn't even physically possible. God's grace got you to where you are. So through, uh, through the Old Testament, right, God commands his people, look out for the poor. Maybe you remember just two Christmases ago, we were in Ruth, right? And there's this description uh, uh, of, of the gleaning that would happen in the fields, right? The, the owner of the fields, he would, he would, uh, he would command that, that the, the people work in the fields, harvesting the fields, that they would leave some on the outskirts of the field so that the poor could come and they could harvest some grain for themselves, right? This is, this is how they... Right? And it was, it was them showing the love of God. James 2.8, he says, if you, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You are doing well. Right? And this, this takes us back to... Commandments depend all the law and prophets. Jump back into James here, James 2.9. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point on the externals, right, and, and withheld for, from them, right? He's got us, right? You, you've broken the law. I've broken the law. You need mercy like everyone else. Verse 12, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And, and James doesn't define the law of liberty here for us. So I want to I run over to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, because I think it, it helps us understand what James is writing here. Galatians 5, 13 and 14, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, Christians, we're, we're set free from sin. We're freed from the condemnation of sin. 
right? Remember, there's, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So we're to live in this freedom from sin, and, and, right? And, and without Christ, sin just left us dead. So the, the byproduct of this freedom isn't, Paul says, that we would indulge the flesh and run after sin. No, the byproduct is love, right? That, that we love other people like we love ourselves, every one of us. We don't even have to think of how to love ourselves. Like we're really good at that, which tells us that we have, we have the ability, we have the know-how to love others. So Paul tells us that in this freedom, we serve one another, right? That's how we love one another. We take the form of a servant. And serving, it's not rocket science, right? You just look for, okay, how do I help out that person, right? How can I make their day better? And yes, it can get way more complicated than that. But man, how do I lend a hand to them as they're facing this trial right now? So this freedom that we know, it's because of Christ. And, and, and the freedom that we know because of Christ, sorry, it, it, it brings us to serve others. And James agrees, right? He says that back in verse 8, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus, uh, his offering for us on the cross, it, it frees us from the rule of sin. So now the law that rules us, that governs us, is love. And it's under this law of liberty that we'll be judged. And James explains that, that if we don't love, then we'll perish because we obviously don't have the, the new life that we talked about last week, right? If we we're born again, we would, we would love others. We would serve others, right? Like we, like we love ourselves. So if this, is, if this is the law that governs us now, right? This, this law of love, then of course, partiality can have no place in us, right? We can't discriminate based on, on anything, right? Wealth, status, ethnicity, right? We can't show favoritism because of someone's education or, 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 or whatever way we would be tempted to show partiality, right? The way we treat others shows what our relationship with Christ is. Remember John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right? Do you love like someone who's been set free from sin, right? You've repented of sin. You've turned to faith in Jesus that he alone can save you. Do you love, like James tells us, a Christian loves? Verse 13, the passage ends, or we'll end here today. It says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So under this law of liber liberty, which, which the, again, love is what rules us, will be judged by this law of love. And, and this law says, no, you do not show partiality. So who do you not love? Like, what, what kinds of people do you just really struggle to love? Is it people that look differently than you? Is it people that, that think differently than you, vote differently than you? In our society, it has become okay to just write people off that disagree with you. Should it be that way among Christians? James sees partiality as a contradiction to mercy. Right? If we show partiality, we are not merciful. He flips the, the beatitude. You remember Jesus, Matthew 5, 7. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. James just takes the, the negative approach to that exact same thought, right? Anyone who doesn't show mercy will not be shown mercy, 
which falls right in line with what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. James calls Christians to remember. Remember the mercy that God has given us, has given you through his son, Jesus. Right? What you deserved, what I deserved, was wrath for sin. And God was merciful toward you. Mercy won in your life, right? Respond then with mercy. Live under this law of love. Uh, I bet many of you are probably familiar with uh, the parable in Matthew 18. Um, Sometimes it's called the parable of the unmerciful servant or the unforgiving servant. But there's this servant who owed his his master more money than he ever had a chance at, at at coming up with in one lifetime, maybe even two lifetimes. So he's before his master. His master wants the debt paid. He wants that money that's owed him, and he's begging, right? He's begging, please just let me, let me work for it. Like, give me more time. Let me, let me pay you back. I will pay you back. And the master doesn't just say, yeah, okay, you can pay me back. No, the master cancels his debt. It's gone, right? He, he owed, like, to us what would be millions and millions, maybe billions of dollars, and, and that debt was just wiped out. Well, then that servant goes and he finds, he finds this other servant that owed him some money, right? Not, not tons, but some money, nothing near the debt that he owed. And he's like, you got to pay me my money back. And, and he starts like choking out this, this fellow servant and the, and the servant's begging. It's like, no, just give me some time, right? G- give me a few more months. I'll pay you back. I promise you I'll pay you. He's like, no, no way. Has him thrown in jail. Well, some of the other servants see this and they tell the master and the master, he can't believe it. He, he calls that, that servant before him that, that he had forgiven. He just loses his mind on him. He's like, how, how can I cancel your debt that you never realistically had a chance at repaying and then you choke out your, your fellow servant over, over some lunch money? What are you thinking, right? Most people that are shown mercy would show mercy to others. What is wrong with you? And then he throws him in prison, right? Do do we live in light of God's mercy, right? If you're a Christian, right, if you are born again, you know the mercy that you've been given. You've you've feasted on mercy, right? You've You've been super saturated in mercy, so because of mercy, it's, 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 it's why you have life. And now because of the mercy shown to you, man, we're to show mercy to others. Mercy through Jesus triumphed over judgment that you and I deserve. So the call is let's love our neighbor as ourself, right? No matter what they look like, no matter how they act, no matter how they talk, no matter what they have or don't have, right? Or, or any other way we could get judgmental. Let's circle back to verse one, and then we'll close here. And he said, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, right? As I mentioned, James starts off by telling us that this, this partiality is a contradiction to our faith in Jesus. Right? He, he proclaims that Jesus is the glorious one. We, we get fooled by human glory, right? Either because we want it ourselves or it intimidates us and, and we want to keep on its good side. But Jesus James tells us he's the truly glorious one. And if we're in him, then when these, these tractor beams of human glory try, try to get us, right, try to get a grip on us, either to envy it or be afraid of it, we can rest in Jesus' glory. 
right? We, we can experience the freedom of his law of love. And it's in that freedom that we get to love based not on external reasons, right? Not based on, on merit. No, we get to love them because God has so freely loved us. He's so generously loved us. He's poured out his mercy and his grace on us. So we got to quit showing partiality. Right? Anywhere we tend to or are tempted to show partiality, we gotta ask God to kill that in us, to put it to death because it is not of Him. Right? We we need it out of our lives and for mercy to take its place. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we uh, we confess, first of all, that you are glorious and that, that I, I get distracted, we get distracted. By, by all kinds of impersonators, Lord. All, all kinds of things that, that promise glory, that promise life, that, that promise, you know, whatever it is that we feel like we want, Lord. None of them, none of them, none of them give real life, Lord. None of them answer the, 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 the problems that we have because of our sin, Lord. God, we, we confess that, that you have poured out mercy in our lives and, and that we, man, we so easily judge others just based on external things. And we treat others really unfairly because of what they have or what they don't have. Lord, we don't wanna be that way. We don't wanna be that way as individuals. We don't wanna be that way as a church. Lord, we wanna bring you glory by loving other people in your great name. Jesus, we wanna show the world. We wanna show our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family members that anyone can be in your family. That, that anyone can be, be forgiven uh, of their sin and be made right with you. Jesus, we love you, Lord. It's in your holy name we pray, amen.